I heard his boots move to the back of the house in what sounded like a good thirty minutes into the clearing behind. And then, silence. My hearing was unsettlingly acute. Then a gunshot rings out, nearly deafening me while I concentrated my tuning in. A shotgun which sounded like it blended in with a quick animal yelp. Footsteps back to the front door. A dull thud of something hitting the ground, and the door opens. Peter entered again apologizing for his departure. He explained to me that he took a goat from his herd for my dinner. Not for stew, but instead fresh meat in the cage to keep my demon proxy sated for the night. Something to soothe the ravenous and enraged hunger if all goes to horrible plan. A plan that Peter had expected. After Peter had cut up the meat and put it into a plastic box with a lid, he walked it and me down to the cage. Honestly, I was so afraid. I was afraid that something terrible would happen. I hoped the night would pass without incident. He had locked the heavy metal door behind him and kept the key in his front pocket. If anything should go wrong with the integrity of the cage, he could make an escape. I couldn't believe this was going to happen. Maybe nothing. God, I hope nothing. Closing the cage behind me, hurriedly, then locking it, Peter looked at me in a warm, calming manner. Knowing that I was panic-stricken, absolute distress, I took my blanket, and with as much pride as one could gather in such an undignified scenario, I laid the blanket down, sat on it cross-legged, while Peter moved across the room to his cot. We both talked about nothing, just looking at each other, attempting to change the mood while discussing films that he had seen and music that he likes. I asked him what his favorite song was, and he told me that it was Nikyaka Misyakna, an old Ukrainian folk song that he sang as a boy, about a boy in love with a girl, and he asks her for a date, and he spends the night telling her how wonderful she is. It means moonlit night. I'm not a fan of moon anymore. <laughs> he laughs nervously. It makes me think of my daughter. I hummed to her this song when she was baby before. He trailed off, looked down at his feet. He raised his eyes back to me, slaps his hands together with a forced smile. Anyway, hey, let's talk about you. Tell me about family. He concluded. Clearly, we needed to get away from this song. We spoke of my days back home and what my parents were like, my sister, what they all did for a living, funny stories from Christmas, and throughout the next hour we had a few laughs. I told him that I wished that we had taken the whiskey with us down into the basement. It will get a bit cold tonight, I suspected. It was already damp. I think we both need clear head tonight. Peter made sense as usual. We joked some more and both feeling a bit sleepy. He walked over to my cage. He checked the door again, shook the lock, and then said, Good night, Alex. Let us hope that we laugh tomorrow. Good night, Peter. I was nearly in tears from the stress of it all. Weirdly, at that moment, I thought of Andre, and if he was beginning to be able to control his condition. Laying down, eyes closed, 
maddening buzzing of flies around the meat bin. Must have been about 9 or 10 p.m. I needed this night over and done. Used my favorite sleep technique to block out the flies and drift off. It consisted of manufacturing a slideshow in my mind of random and bizarre objects. Strange, but it always seemed to work. Surreal images always make me pass out. And it did. Sometime later. I don't know how long I was able to sleep in. I didn't care. My gut surged with pain. Like the worst possible food poisoning. I immediately snapped into a, a fetal position holding my stomach. Clutching my gut tightly. I felt a stabbing pain. That wasn't gastro-related. I had cut my stomach with my hand. I looked at my hand with blood on the tips of suddenly long pointed nails accenting the hair that began forming across the back of my hand. My hand broke into a million places and I screamed, which must have woken Peter with a start. But I could not know because my involuntary focus was my muscles and bones <laughs> twisting, cracking, and my mind dizzying with pain and drifting out of consciousness. Vague memories of my legs becoming unfamiliar to me. I had no more pain. Only the distant memory of being strong, hungry, and very, very enraged. Then, lights out. Complete nothing until morning. Peter narrated my evening for me. Alex, your senses were gone. You rose up from floor, fully formed. Your face still changing into furry snout and your eyes closed firm. You were breathing very heavily, smelling air. Me or meat, he said. Then, you or it or it open eyes curse red lantern staring at me you raise claws at me and attack hitting bars i was afraid they would not hold and they break i would not make it a door to escape good thing i'm good builder you lost me from your eyes and turned to meat you smelled it and ate all even some bones he said in an arm-waving, illustrative manner. When Victoria looked at me as, as, as Wolf, I see her, her eyes. They know me. You were stranger. You only saw food or target for age. I decide to go in locked door and stay upstairs. I'm sorry I leave you, but I was afraid, Alex. He concluded sadly. My throat was sore. Felt difficult to speak, like, like my larynx was beaten with a crowbar, but with a raspy voice. I explained. It's okay. I understand. I am happy that you're okay, and the night is over. But 
horribly pained that this was now my life. I'm cursed. It's now my burden. I agreed with Peter that he could tell Victoria, whom spent the evening in a similar cage at her sister's home outside of Kiev. Victoria may not be able to help, but the more direct empathy and understanding would soothe my growing isolation and despair, to some degree. She agreed to stay an extra few nights with her sister. Victoria was in her late fifties, as was Peter. Nobody knew whether or not she would outlive him due to the Lycan Damnation Syndrome. I thought it was clever in this abrupt moment of levity in my own mind. I made the slightest chuckle to myself. Lycan Damnation Syndrome. LDS. It'll be written on my diagnosis from some witch doctor or some... What would you call them? A cursologist? I whispered to myself. I could not return to Pripyat. I had no way to protect the people from myself. I wouldn't know how to live amongst Andre and his newfound pack. I don't know if I would be torn apart or welcomed with a, a lick or a wolf ass sniff. Peter and I, over afternoon tea, agreed that we would arrange for another cage, and I would stay with he and Victoria, with she and I occupying the cages separated during the evenings. Peter told me that I would begin to remain conscious during my furry episodes soon, that the early days would be too much for me to remain sentient, but the control would still not be there. Memories would. This seems like the worst part of the curse, I felt, remembering the horror, but not being able to resist it. We drove into the nearest town and purchased some rebar and iron plating. Peter had all of his welding material, and over the next 48 hours and more evening episodes, we finally constructed a double rebar barred cage reinforced with metal plating, bars horizontal and vertical, tough as possible. It was quite terrifying that I would try this out for the first time, a beta test that I begged Peter to not be part of. I asked him to seal me into the basement, lock the upper door and the outer door just in case. It was another wild night and I was taking a toll on his goat supply. Those poor goats being sacrificed for something less sophisticated than a stew or a, a vindaloo. The cage stood the test, and we were now ready to let Victoria know that she could return. In the back of my mind, this could not last forever. I could not spend my days being taken care of by this wonderful couple. They have their own lives. I also could not return to Pripyat, Everything I had there was not mine except my clothes and odd items like TV and telephone. I would ask Peter for one last favor, to retrieve my belongings in Pripyat. I would never make the journey there and back before nightfall. He obliged, but it was established that he would spend the night in my apartment to avoid a full day on the road back and forth. After all, I may be a monster, but I wasn't a monster. He left the following day, he would leave the key on the table inside for the landlord. It was arranged. I explained that I was stuck in hospital in Kiev after a car accident and could not get back. That was the same excuse that I used for the factory in having Peter retrieve my final wages, which he would also deposit for me. I could not think of how I would ever repay this man who has done so much for me. Me, a man that has nothing more to live for, has little to offer, but I would need to carefully consider my exit strategy. Peter and I welcomed Victoria home. 
Victoria and I had a connection, we felt, that we didn't before. She always seemed motherly, but now it seemed that we had more of a subconscious kinship born out of our ordeal and perhaps blood. She had been affected decades ago. I was new. For this very reason, due to my early stages, Peter and Victoria had an idea that seemed very disavowed amongst those they had spoken to in Victoria's early days. There was little investment in this concept, but I was eager to at least hear. As Victoria, Peter, and I sat together, she spoke of one of the early plans that was given to them by another, much older Volkalak, who passed many years ago. This would involve a very old, very ancient methodology that was widely based on hearsay and fool's talk. It was to cure early-stage lycanthropy, the only word I could use to describe the ancient curse. The method was to infuse the blood of the Volkalak that bit me, and as early as possible, transfuse it into me. It sounded like a poorly crafted arc of a Wolfman film. I guess origins are origins for a reason, and I was up for anything. He had assured me that this was the only way, even though the chance of death was equal to certainty. I felt that I had no options left to me, and death was certainly the most attractive at this point. I could not bear to live with this, as Victoria has, and certainly would never be able to control it, I felt. I just didn't have what it takes from a steel and focus perspective. Victoria started, in slightly better English than her husband. I would not want to try. If I not survive, after we lost our daughter just before, it would crush Peter. He would be alone, and I would be afraid for him. I decide to work with my condition and make steps that are needed to live life, but protect him. Early in condition, she had no control, Peter interrupted. She would drive far into abandoned woods, a long path, spend night out with tent, all needs, and far from me and others until we build cage. First cage did not work. Not strong enough. <laughs> he laughed lightly, while squeezing her hand with a loving glance. Victoria, after transformation, finally broke and got out. The iron door we installed was enough, and we were lucky to think of it. He added, We made Cage perfect, and even if sad to see her spend night there, was worth to have my wife alive during the other times and was only, how you say, option, or alternate. Only alternative, yes, alternative. I assisted. I get that. You need each other, and it works for you in its best format. It's only alternative, but for me, I don't have Victoria's ability to control it. At least not yet. I can't stay here forever, managing this and living in a cage each night, I said. I need to try this cure in this way that you suggested. I need to find Andre somehow. I need his blood, and I need to transfuse, if that's the only option I have. And if I die trying, for me, it's better. As we say, I rightfully smiled. Alternative. Victoria and Peter tried to talk me out of it, but... Deep inside, they understood. They would assist me. I would travel back to Pripyat as early as possible, 
within the next two days when I was ready. I would venture directly into the Red Forest, attempt to find Andre. He found me quite easily, and I knew that I would not be the one doing the finding. I counted on his ability to locate me. The abandoned cabin where he found me last time. I would seek it out. Prepare for the days-long stay, if necessary. Bring enough to survive on. My primary concern, and it was a big one, is that in a matter of speaking, I had switched teams. I was on the other side now. The Chudo Visco would perhaps not be aware of my form as human, but would certainly look to destroy me in gangs if finding me howly and hairy. I would not want to see them harmed, and I hoped that I would not be the one to do so. They were expelled to the forest, the Red Forest being their only sanctuary, but they shared it with the Volkalak, and they knew how to survive, it seemed. The Chudo also were keen to keep the Volkalak in check and protect others as much as they were able to from the packs. I knew that there were not many Chudovisco left, and that they typically remained silent and distant. My grandest hope was the mutant clan lived out the rest of their lives without conflict, and the numbers remaining would stay out of the way of a more reproductive forest demographic. The Volkalak. A simple bite is far more efficient and expeditious than a nine-month, somewhat human incubation. Horrified. I was also made aware that in the early days of the cohabitation of these two factions, that any baby born of the Chudovisco was hunted down and destroyed by the Volkalak, which provided the catalyst of aggression and protagonist of the Chudovisco towards them. Peter knew everything. I was happy that I had a true historian of the subject. However reluctant his tales were, the Chudos were very strong and fast and somewhat intelligent, despite the inability to really speak, and were able to function 24 hours per day unlike the Volkalak, who, although being stronger, faster, and far more vicious, despite the precious few, only existed at night, when the moon was highest in the sky, and only for a short time. Peter estimated this to be a four-hour window in the late evening, at most, based on his observation of Victoria. A lot of carnage can be accomplished in four hours in that state, however. I laid on my old mattress that evening, covered with my blankets from home to protect me from the ungodly damp chill of the basement. If the abomination didn't kill me, the extreme respiratory infection may. Victoria lay in her cell, just ten meters from me. Two of us transforming nearly simultaneously, but separate, was the only option for us but would most certainly result in a very sleepless night for Peter. The ruckus, howls, and gnashing roars are spine-chilling enough with one, and the reason why he chose to be so distant from the closest neighbors. I laid, waiting, really, but thinking of what was to come. I thought about how many would exist with my bane. Who bit Andre? Would I have known them from a local pub, or, or were they ancient? If I could never be cured, could I be the first to control it and never let it out? One thing that I couldn't stop thinking about was something that seemed to be no more than a passing chirp within our chat this evening. 
over hot cocoa. Victoria's unverified theories of bitten chudos. If those radioactive ghouls, for good, were cursed and driven into the dark lunacy of the Volkalak, what characteristics would they retain? Would they even be able to transform? What strength and shape would they possess? Would they feel a kinship with their new pack after years of bitter opposition? Or would they be destroyed immediately? As aberrations among the wolves. The night passed with the expected outcome. Rhythmic and routine as we had planned. However, Peter had made us aware that we were exceptionally peaceful and calm during our time together. Perhaps there had been a bond forged within our beastly manifestations or more hopeful, that Victoria and I had recognized one another in some small cabinet of the mind that remains conscious to our human incarnations. Peter had watched us through an old CCTV-like baby monitor that was once used for their child. Old and dated, but operational still. He had it reinstalled in the cellar many years back to keep an eye on Victoria. Grainy, but able to record. I saw myself for the first time. It made me shudder. I immediately wept. I felt sorry for myself. Selfishly, not for Victoria or Andre or any other good person that had been voodooed by this infliction, but just for myself. I felt depressed for the remainder of the day as we drove the long journey to Pripyat, to the Red Forest, to wherever I could find Andre. I hoped that I could find him in human form, wherever he was hiding out. Perhaps encounter his cursed comrades as well. I really needed this to happen before dark. The ride conversation was kept light for four plus hours. We stopped for lunch, but we tried to engage in as much levity as possible. Some sing-alongs in the car. The mood was perpetually heavy and the laughs were forced. We exchanged jokes and amusing anecdotes, but deep inside... I was entirely nonplussed about any conversation. I was mentally retreated, unable to lift my spirits, but no reason to dampen theirs, so I went along. We reached Pripyat at approximately 1 p.m. We got into the tracks to the forest and drove in as much as we could. We unpacked and locked the car and began our walk. Peter, Victoria, and I. We carried with us a shotgun, a handgun, two sharp knives, a sterilized hypodermic needle in a case, towels, a first aid kit, a few sandwiches, bottles of water, and a, a bottle of 70% isopropyl alcohol for cleaning wounds, should we need to. The day was quite overcast, and for some reason, as always, the forest seemed wet even without any rain having occurred. Slippery and a bit muddy, we moved forward. We had no idea what we'd find or encounter, and, most importantly, we had no idea how to predict how anything that we did encounter would respond to us. Using compasses, we moved off the track to set towards the center of the forest where we knew at least the little hunting cabin was. Where I had my encounter with non-human Andre. We used chaining to guide us back. Our chaining was a thin-colored thread that we tied to our first tree and then trailed along as we traveled. 
If it all went well, we would find Andre immediately. I hoped that we encountered nothing else, not even Chudos. We had cursed blood in us, and we didn't need a violent confrontation of any kind. I had no aspirations of having to use our weapons, and we didn't need the loss of time on top of everything in addition. As we reached the four-kilometer point of our walk, we knew that we were close. We were tired and decided to stop, find a place to sit and have something to eat. We rested on a group of fallen trees near a clearing. The sun was bright, melted across my face. There was the faintest of breeze, and even with the silence of the forest's unique, arboreal nothingness, it felt peaceful. Nothing would be good again if we didn't succeed, and we had a slim chance that it would work. But this moment was a small gem. I cut out every other sensory element, if only for a short while, and I closed my eyes and drank in the sunshine. I wanted to have our stop in the meadow, but Peter felt it was better to never stop in any clearings, as we didn't need to be gazed upon too readily. We stretched out our legs and finished our sandwiches in the silent woodland. We threw the crusts, knowing they'd probably get finished by some squirrels, chipmunks, or birds. But we knew the forest was unoccupied by the gentler creatures, and we'd probably see them in their places on our return back. We opened up our thermos of tea for a quick splash. Exhausted. Not only from the walk. A ten-kilometer walk in the bush is equal to a fifty-kilometer walk in a city. The obstacles, no flat ground, roots, creeks, uphill, downhill, branches in the face. Truly exhausting. Peter piped up. We must keep track of time. Let us hurry now. We are in eleven hour. Night will come sooner than we think. We zipped up, stood up, started moving at a collectively steady pace. It was soon after that we heard it. A distant series of shrieks. They were not from any animal that we were aware of. These were loud and intense. They were angry. They must have come from a couple kilometers away. I was certain. Still, it was unsettling. Didn't help that the noise was a complete mystery. Didn't sound like any chudo I've ever heard. Victoria and Peter agreed. Also, this was not a Volkalak. It couldn't be. This was midday. There was no way. Besides, this was no sound from any Volkalak regardless. Let's hurry, said Victoria. I am not in the mood for discovery. We kept moving, and the sound vanished as quickly as it appeared. We were close to the cabin, where we thought Andre might be squatting. Through bush, receiving non-stop scratches and nearly losing eyes, with snapped back alder branches, soaked feet from shin-deep brooks, and in the distance we saw the sparseness of the trees. Knew that this was the clearing that was occupied by the cabin. The clearing, from the look of our map, was vast, but we should have no problem finding it. The cabin, from what Peter told me, was built decades ago for hunters and placed in the opening to ensure that it remained exposed to sunlight and not perpetually damp from the forest and hidden within the canopy. We pushed forward again, desperate to find some sign of Andre. If the methodology of ancient ways were correct, I would have a chance to rid myself of this. 
If I infused the blood of Andre, hopefully this would remove the cursed blood from my body. This was the hope, not the expectation, I'm afraid. I hope that being dubious wasn't dangerous to my chances. None of this made sense when I thought about it. I mean, replacing one blood with another blood from the same cursed creature. Treading through sucking mud upon reaching the hunter's meadow, we could see the cabin quite clearly about 50 meters away. We escaped the mud and entered waist-high grass, yellowed and brittle. Somehow remained throughout the deadness of the forest. We treaded through the illumination on our faces from the sunbeams that were welcome. Immediately, on edge, we all dropped to the ground beneath the grass. There was a growl that came from behind us. We were afraid to move. The growl then multiplied. There were multiple things close behind us. Maybe as close as the cabin. Close enough. Too close. The growl was replaced by a shriek that pierced my ears. It went through my head and my brain nearly exploded. The high pitch and intensity was like nothing I'd ever heard before. Maybe an hour earlier in the distance. If this was the same beast that we heard earlier, it moved to us. It smelled us. Knew we were here. The worst part of it all is that there were more than one. What the fuck was this? This was an unplanned situation. Chudos wouldn't attack if this were them, unless they knew our night manifestations. But this sound was in no way Chudos. No way. We stayed down, avoiding even a whisper. Just nods and communicating through eye movements. We crawled slowly. Then the sound of slow, heavy footsteps was heard from the same direction. Whatever those things were, they were on their way to us. They most certainly knew we were in the grass. What were they waiting for? Peter slowly pulled out his handgun. An old Ukrainian army-issued Makarov stub-nosed pistol. I clutched my shotgun. Victoria placed her hand on the hilt of her knife, not able to reach for her handgun as it was under her, and attempting to reach it would easily expose her by sound, if not view. The shriek came again. It was halved in proximity. It was close. Then, for the first time, the breathing. Heavy, wet breathing. It seemed unending, and this confirmed my suspicion that there were more than two, maybe three or four. I nearly passed out from the intensity of the, of the sound, combined with my level of fear. We should be able to use our weapons to scare them, injure them, or kill them, right? We are armed. Why are we afraid? The silent pep talk to myself was for the sole purpose of feeling optimistic that we would be okay. The beasts gurgled and growled low and quietly. The steps started again. We got our weapons ready, fingers on triggers. Victoria had enough. 
Perhaps after years of being fearless as a giant fur-clad monstrosity peered up over the grass. She slowly lowered her head and looked at us with absolute terror in her eyes. We had no way of communicating, but that was enough to make me piss myself a little. I unhooked the shotgun from my shoulder strap. I firmly gripped it, closed my eyes for a second to focus. Peter had a look of anger on his face. He seemed to be eager to get into it. With a microsecond nod from Peter, exaggerated and fierce, we stood up with our guns quickly drawn towards whatever it was that horrified Victoria. My legs were asleep, which made it more difficult to raise up quickly. We stopped. Both groups. Eyes fixated on each other. I was paralyzed. These beasts were massive. Covered in hair, mouths huge. Filled with teeth that looked more like stones. Blunt, but plentiful. These mouths... Unique. Chudo mouths. These heads. Eyes. These were. These were Chudos. The three of them. They were different. Were angry looking. Covered in hair, head to toe. I had no more time to analyze. My thoughts took place within three seconds. Somehow. Then. Peter fired, to no effect, fired again and again. It hit the beast in front and it shrieked in anger at Peter, losing all sight of us. It moved with quickness that I couldn't process. Through the grass, it took long leaps and got within inches of Peter. Peter screamed in its face, reached for his knife. He didn't have time. The animal, red eyes and enraged, fur blowing in the breeze in all directions, grabbed Peter by the head, causing Peter to drop the knife. The thing clamped its jaws onto Peter's head, taking half of his head with it in a sickening crunch, while his only existing eye rolled back and he was instantly gone. Blood exploded everywhere. Peter merely stood standing dead, but in automated posture, standing somehow, swaying, until the furry demon drove its massive, clawed hand into his chest and in a single motion, ripped his torso in half. Victoria screamed, as did I, at the top of our lungs while we grabbed our weapons. Victoria, finally able to unleash her Glock and my shotgun. We couldn't pull the triggers fast enough when we heard the screams of pain from the beast prove that we were doing damage. Poor Peter was not even recognizable as a human being anymore. In a pile on the meadow ground, staining the yellowed grass for ten feet in every direction with sprayed viscera. A ruptured balloon of blood 
flowing outward between the dead spikes of grass. The animals turned toward us angry while we reloaded. The others began moving towards us, and at that time, I hoped that it would be as quick as Peter's death. We had nothing to live for, but he did. That's when Victoria let out a blood-curdling growl that was not that of a middle-aged woman. It was horrific. It was not Victoria. This was the cursed denizen living beneath her flesh. Victoria's eyes went solid red, like the end of a deeply inhaled cigar, and she roared again, causing our attackers to stumble from shock. Then something I didn't know was possible. Immediately, her limbs expanded, fur growing in an instant and lengthening exposed lethal claws within seconds, and she let out a blood-curdling howl of pain from transformation, quite possibly mixed with rage. She suddenly reached eye level with these assassins, and with long clawed arms extended in attacking mode, she moved in front of me, protecting me. Why could I not change at will? She was something special. The two monsters that were spectating, their leader, started to charge towards Victoria with a hiss. Victoria leapt up into the air in an instant. She must have gotten 12 feet up before launching down onto the attackers, driving her claws into the top of their heads and gripping while twisting their heads back with a shriek before dropping their lifeless bodies to the ground. She was incredible. This was insane. She was a killing machine. What made it most incredible was that she knew to protect me still. The leader crouched, hissed, perhaps very much aware that he was not going to survive this match, sped away across the clearing and into the tree line. While I thought that this was it, this was our small victory. Victoria's monstrous alter ego was having none of it. The thing ripped her husband apart, the love of her life that devoted his life to keeping her safe. No, not without vengeance. She tore after it and screeching the entire way. I hear her roars into the distance, trees crashing, and then what sounded like an unimaginable level of violence. The screams that I knew were from the lead beast ended, and then silence. I dropped onto my knees. I was fatigued beyond thought. I slowly, tiringly glanced towards the remains of Peter. I shed some tears and passed out. At some point, a bloodied Victoria woke me. She was covered in her former clothes that were now draped over her. No longer as clothes but the rags that were left from the transformation. We opened up Peter's bag to get new clothes. Then she cried for over an hour while we watched the sun dip. Peter's terrible demise was unexpected and resulted in our lateness. We were now in even more dangerous territory. We wouldn't find Andre now. Not today. We also wouldn't make it out of here in daylight at this point. This was now familiar to me. Here we go again. But poor, poor Peter. It was difficult to keep going. 
I couldn't believe he was gone. Reaching the cabin, we dropped onto the floor. We knew we were here for the night. Once again, hotel horror was my accommodation for the evening. Once again, at least we were better prepared. I wish Peter was with us. He'd know what to do, I said. I know, whispered Victoria. I know. We both wish he were with us. We need to continue. For him. I shared a heartbroken expression with her. We laid out with some blankets that we had brought and put one of the old cabinets up against the front door. We left the food that we had outside, hanging in a plastic bag from a tree. We saw no need to invite more trouble with sandwiches. I started to drift off. Victoria sat, staring at the moonlight through the dirty window. I knew that it was going to be an hour or two that my sleep would be interrupted, to result in two werewolves moving from friendship in human form to staring down one another in a different, poisoned mindset. I was terrified of hurting Victoria, and she wouldn't want to hurt me. I knew that she could control it now. I couldn't. Then I closed my eyes, and I was fast asleep, dreaming of cursed were-chudos, and then killing them all, and then going home. No, I probably will never see home again. I have to disentangle myself from this expectation. Every moment I was conditioning myself to remove the memory of my family and my friends from my mind, distance myself from my past life. This was no longer my future. Fishing with my brother now, replaced with killing countryside villagers in a, a foreign land. Thank you for listening. Have a nice day.